This is the Incubator and the Neonatology Review Podcast. We are your study buddies for neonatology topics. I'm Dr. Ben Korsha. And I'm Dr. Daphne Yasova Barbo. Welcome. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Incubator and the Neonatology Review Podcast. We are back on this last day of uh, questions for the week and before the holidays. So, um, yeah, Daphne, how are you? I'm doing great. It's been a, a fun week of cardiology. Um, cardiology. Who would have thought? Oh, it, I, who would have thought? But cardi- cardiology, super high yield, super high yield. And for people who are following along with us, we will start the new year with um, infectious disease and immunology. So. Yeah, you posted that was actually very nice of you to do that because many people have asked, "What is the schedule? What is the schedule like?" and uh, so on and so forth. So uh, you posted a little thing on our social media accounts. Yeah, uh, social media accounts or just on Twitter? Hmm. Ooh. So Ooh. go check on Twitter. Just check on Twitter. Because <laughs> that's where I saw it, where you have like a little bit of an outline of what we will be uh, looking at. So that's good. Okay. Okay. You ready? Uh, I'm going to ask you the first question today. No, I'm going to ask you the first question. I have a reason for asking you the first question. Bye. So. <laughs> Daphne, cardiology question 39. The PDA is considered to be a common form of congenital heart disease with an incidence of about one per 2,000 live births. Even if asymptomatic in childhood, an untreated PDA mm. may cause all of the following except choice A, congestive heart failure, uh, choice B, and arteritis, so not, right, and arteritis, choice C, endocarditis, choice D, PDA aneurysm, choice D, pulmonary hypertension. Hmm. Well. 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 Let's see. <laughs> I mean, it can certainly cause congestive heart failure. Mm-hmm. Uh, can it cause pulmonary hypertension? Yes. I don't know much about PDA aneurysms, but I know, like other vessels, it can cause it can. Get end arteritis. Does it cause PDA? Uh, does it ca- can it cause endocarditis? I don't know, but I know that we're kind of prophylaxing kids who have mm. big procedures, um, who have PDAs. You gotta pick it up. I don't- on the day of the test, time I is know. ticking. I guess if you have a large untreated PDA, can it develop an aneurysm? Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> I mean, I guess, I guess C, endocarditis. Very good. So complications hmm. of an untreated PDA depend largely on the size and the degree of blood flow that you have going through that PDA. Congestive heart failure, pulmonary hypertension may result from just over-circulation as a result of a left-to-right shunting. We see this very commonly, especially in babies who have um, long-standing PDA and uh, commonly babies with BPD. Um, and arteritis is an increasingly rare complication, though um, 
infective vegetation may be seen uh, in the pulmonary artery and the PDA. A ductal aneurysm may also occur, most likely after surgical closure, coiling, or an infective arteritis. About a quarter of cases of aneurysms have been found in conjunctions with aneuploidy or soft tissue disorders, such as Marfan. Okay, you're next. Sorry, I had to look something up. <laughs> we prophylax after PDA closure. Yeah, we do. After okay. PDA closure, if you have a device. <laughs> because they have a device. Yeah, That's absolutely. All right. Um, why did you want to go first? <laughs> Because, because the next question, I'm out. You I'll, wanted, I'll... you wanted the other question. I see what happened. Mm-hmm. I see what's happening here. Okay, cardiology question forty: A prenatal fetal ultrasound raises concern for hypoplastic left heart syndrome. A fetal echocardiogram is performed, which confirms aortic stenosis with associated HLHS, hypoplastic left heart. The cardiologist explained the diagnosis to the parents. But the parents request a meeting with a neonatologist to discuss the implications for the infant's developmental outcomes. I mean, side note, they should always meet with a neonatologist with a diagnosis of HLHS, but that's fine. Which of the following statements is Here comes true? The soapbox is coming. <laughs> no, it's done. It's done. <laughs> Which of the following statements is true about congenital heart disease and neurodevelopment? This is tricky. I'm gonna. Do, they didn't say HLHS. They said, "What's true about congenital heart disease?" A, if there is no associated genetic or chromosomal syndrome, the neurodevelopmental outcome is entirely dependent on intraoperative complications. B, if there is no associated genetic or chromosomal syndrome, there will be a normal neurodevelopmental outcome. C, Intraventricular hemorrhage is the most frequent intracranial pathology found after surgery in infants with a congenital cardiac defect. D, the neurodevelopment outcome is associated with duration of cardiac bypass time. Or E, the rates of neurodevelopmental impairment are consistent across all types of congenital cardiac defects. You're looking for the true statement. Yep, 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 yep. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, Choice A states that if there is no associated genetic or chromosomal syndrome, then all the neurodevelopmental outcomes are dependent on intraoperative complications. I don't think that's true. because there are some cardiac conditions. I mean, it depends on the cardiac condition, I think. If there's no associated genetic or chromosomal syndrome, there will be a normal development. That's not necessarily true as well. IVH is the most frequent intracranial pathology found after surgery in infants with congenital heart defect. That is not true. Um, and then choice D seems correct, that the neurodevelopmental outcome is associated, maybe in part, with duration of cardiac bypass time. We know that clamp to clamp time is something that matters um, for neurodevelopmental outcomes. So D seems correct. E states that neurodevelopmental outcome impairment is consistent across all types of congenital heart defect. That is for sure not true. So I'm going to go with D. Yeah, the answer, correct answer is D. The neurodevelopmental outcome is associated with duration of cardiac bypass time. I thought this was a confusing question because it is not the only factor that impacts neurodevelopment and congenital heart disease, but this is a true statement. So yeah. I think that's why this could be a confusing statement, so, uh, confusing question. Severe congenital heart disease may be associated with neurodevelopmental impairment due to a number of factors, preoperative factors, intraoperative factors, and postoperative factors. The preoperative factors include both indirect and direct associations with the underlying cardiac defect. 
Indirect measures include any associated genetic or chromosomal abnormalities, while direct associations include decreased oxygenation and hemodynamic instability secondary to the cardiac defect. The intraoperative factors relate to both the potential impact of anesthesia and the duration of cardiac bypass and circulatory arrest. Cardiac bypass can be associated with reperfusion injury, microemboli, disruption of cerebral autoregulation, and can be associated with an inflammatory response. The postoperative course can be complicated by hemodynamic instability, hypoxemia, impaired cerebral autoregulation, emboli, and increased risk of infection, all of which can individually impact neurodevelopmental outcomes. And then we have some data here. A recent meta-analysis of eight prospective cohorts found that among infants who underwent surgery or palliation in the first six months of life, uh, in parentheses, excluding isolated surgery for a PDA or those with syndromes known to confound the outcome, the average MDI or mental developmental index was 90.3 and the psychomotor development index was 78.1 on the Bailey scale at one year of age. However, congenital heart disease is a broad definition that includes defects with a wide range of complexity. A recent study found that the strongest risk for a new white matter injury on MRI following surgery was the diagnostic category of the underlying defect. Additional risk factors which increase the odds of white matter injury were duration on bypass, the use of deep hypothermic circulatory arrest, These authors found that white matter injury was the most common form of intracranial injury on imaging studies and that it was present in 20% of infants preoperatively and new white matter injury was found in 44% of infants postoperatively. These numbers are roughly consistent with those from an alternate group who found 54% of infants undergoing surgery with deep hypothermic circulatory arrest had white matter changes postoperatively. Okay. Okay. Question 41, Daphna. Last question uh-huh. of the week. During a routine physical examination, you hear a cardiac murmur oh, in man. a three-day-old girl, the recipient of twins diagnosed prenatally with twin-to-twin transfusion syndrome. Mm. Which of the following statements about this scenario is true? Choice A, congenital heart defects are more prevalent in monochorionic infants with TTTS, twin-to-twin transfusion syndrome. Choice B, the recipient twin is more frequently symptomatic. Choice C, there is a threefold increase in the frequency of congenital heart defects. Choice D, ventricular septal defects, atrial septal defects, and pulmonary stenosis are seen most frequently. And lastly, E, all of the above. Okay. So, um... So many things can be associated with twin-twin transfusion. I I know they can have more heart problems, heart defects, for sure. Uh, it took me a long time to recognize this, but the recipient twin is more frequently symptomatic. That's that's also true. Uh, I always thought it was the donor twin, but it, the recipient twin, especially in cardiac pathology, tends to be the most symptomatic. Is there a threefold increase in the frequency of congenital heart defects? I don't know what the number is, and I don't know which are seen most commonly, but because I already identified two that I believe are true, then I must go with E, that potentially all of the above are true. Yeah. 
Congenital heart defects are more prevalent in the recipient twin of a twin-to-twin transfusion syndrome. Studies report a three-fold increase in the frequency of congenital heart defect. The most frequent defects are ventricular septal defect, atrial septal defect, and pulmonary stenosis. Now, um, the incidence of twin-to-twin transfusion in monodi twins um, is about 5 to 15%. Um, you can expect to have some form of impacted outcomes for uh, both. Uh, but like you said, the donor twin and the recipient twin will have different presentations. The donor mm-hmm. twin will uh, usually have some anemia, some hypovolemia, oligohydramnios, maybe low birth weight, uh, maybe some hypertension. The recipient twin will have polycythemia, hypervolemia, uh, cardiac hypertrophy, and possibly hydrops. Um, in terms of uh, the, the 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 management, I think is is not really going to be asked. But like we said, the risk of congenital heart disease is increased by three in either twins, and we're looking at ASD, BSD, and pulmonary stenosis. All right, that concludes okay. the week, buddy. Thank you for your time. <clears throat> Sounds and good. We will uh, see you on Sunday for more episode. Bye, buddy. All right, bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Incubator and Neonatology Review Podcast. If you like our show, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. We would love to hear from you, so please feel free to reach out to Daphna and I via email by sending your messages to nicupodcast at gmail.com. You can also message the show on Twitter at NICUPodcast. Thanks again for listening and see you next time. This podcast is intended to be purely for entertainment and informational purposes and should not be construed as medical advice. If you have any medical concerns, please see your primary care practitioner. Thank you.